Hello, and welcome to episode 251 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for Secretive Masked Antagonists Revenge Themselves Systematically. Whoa, or Smarties Must Acclimate Rapidly to Seriousness. Why must they do that? Because <laughs> we're usually very silly before we hit record. That's true, as opposed to the <laughs> deathly seriousness that we comport <laughs> ourselves with during the show. The somber. Well, I've, I feel like we bring a certain elevated quality to our presentations during the course of the recording. Okay. <laughs> Along with a bit of humor. We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> so my name is Brady Your Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. This is a professional outfit, I'll have you know. It is. Yeah. So we actually have a little bit of news this week, and all of it revolves around the DC Universe service. Blah. So we knew coming off of some of the announcements surrounding like the DC layoffs and everything, they also snuck in there that um, the all the original content from DC Universe, all the original TV shows would be moving over to HBO Max. Okay. So now we know exactly the sort of the shape of how that's going to work and what the service will be. So first of all, in the press release, good news, they announced, so we we knew we didn't mention it last week, but we got news that uh, Doom Patrol was renewed for season three. Mm -hmm. And as part of this press release, they also revealed that Harley Quinn has been renewed for a new season also, Mm -hmm. which we didn't know. Um, You don't, you're not, you don't seem particularly thrilled with that. This is new news. You were really hoping it would be. I, I was, but honestly, I thought that it was already renewed. So no, this is new. This just happened. Yeah, this it's just happened. just confirmed. Yeah. by the official powers that be. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is more exciting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, I was and, like, oh, it's just more chatter. And they but, also talked about how what the DC Universe service is going to become. So in January of next year, it'll be rebranded as DC Universe Infinite. And it will be, you know, all the all the video stuff will be gone and it'll be basically just a comics and community service. Okay. Um, But to make it worth everyone's while, they're sort of beefing it up a little bit. So they're expanding the library. They're adding a lot of the recent uh, digital first titles, which ironically weren't couldn't be found on DC's digital subscription service like. Um, you know, the, the weekly digital ones that uh-huh. we, that we talked about, like Swamping New Roots and Batman and the, the, um, the Titans one and the Harley Quinn, like the, the stuff that we, the digital first ones that we read every week, um, they're going to appear on there. Uh, new comics, new, you know, monthly comics will now appear on there, uh, six months after they're originally published in print, which is, I think, identical to the, um, the delay that Marvel Unlimited has. Uh-huh. So this is basically becoming like like Marvel Unlimited, but for DC, you know, oh, cool. it's the, all the back catalog, including the digital stuff and new comics will appear there six months after they see print. They also said there's going to be, um, there's going to continue to be original content, but it will be comics content. So it looks like, it sounds like they're going to be doing like digital first stuff that can only be found on DC Universe okay. as a way of, as a further incentive. And there'll be community events. And so, so it sounds like the, the community stuff and the, even the shopping stuff I think might stay is just the video stuff is out. Um, I'm not sure if the pricing changed. I mean, I'm going to continue to subscribe to it. So I didn't pay much attention to what the pricing does. Um, I think that they're, I mean, if you, the, I think you have to go in, like they say that starting in November, you'll have the option of going in and saying, yes, 
I want my subscription to roll over to this new thing or no, I don't. Um, for those that do, I think they give you like a $20 gift card or something like okay. that as a yeah. thanks for, for staying Being a member there. or something like that. But I'm not sure what the prices are for, for, for new members. But it's basically what we thought. All of the DC Universe stuff, including stuff that hasn't been mentioned up till now, like Titans and Harley Quinn, is moving over to HBO Max. And this will become basically just a comics service, but with more, but one that will more rapidly get access to new stuff and will get more of the, you know, existing stuff. So right. it's, that's basically what's going to happen. And the community component is something that I don't think Marvel has. I don't, I don't use Marvel Unlimited, but I think it's just comics. I mean, there yeah. might be like message boards in there too, but right. DC, that's not the, the same. Yeah, the DC Universe stuff has got a bit more than just the message boards. So yeah. I think it's a little... But I'm not, I mean, I don't think anybody really pays the money for that. I think you're paying for... Right, I know. But that's an additional perk for members. Yeah. And the other thing that they announced, which is a big deal, is that... Uh, so the international rollout for DC Universe has been non-existent because... Probably because it's trickier to negotiate the international rights for video content. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for this, I'm a little, a little unsure why... It was a problem because this is all new, original. I mean, I guess they could have rolled out internationally with only the originals and that would have been fine because there's no pre-existing deals with that stuff. But I think they wanted to, they were delaying the rollout until I could get international distribution for like a lot of the back catalog stuff. Who knows what existing deals existed with like Netflix Spain or whatever for the Richard Donner Superman movie, right? That they would need to wait for that to expire before they could put that on the service in Spain or whatever, right? right? So, And they probably didn't want to just do an international rollout with only the originals. They wanted to have the back catalog stuff, but they had to wait for the existing deals to expire, which, you know, it turns out they didn't expire by the time the service, you know, the service, they those deals outlived the service as it, as it Shook initially out. existed. Um, but now that the service is just going to be comics, it's far easier to do the international rollout because obviously DC owns the rights to all of their own comics. Yeah. So starting in the middle of next year, they will begin rapid international rollouts. Okay. Um, so that's an, that's one advantage of, of this is that now international audiences, you know, you still got to wait for HBO Max as opposed to roll out internationally or for whatever existing international deals they're going to strike to get Doom Patrol on Netflix in whatever other country. But at least... Um, international readers will have access to the comics starting the middle of next year yeah which is something that wasn't the case before it was u.s only so so that's at least one plus of this of the way this shook out but those are that's that's what's going to happen so it's pretty much what we expected so i I think that they're doing a good job of they're beefing it up you know they're giving some some rewards to longtime members and they're you know yeah so i think that's probably this is good as can be expected. And there's also like a bundle deal or something. Like if you have DC Universe, you get a discount on HBO Max or something. So they're, they're doing some stuff to to accommodate people. So I think they're doing a good job of it. That's awesome. Yeah, but that's our news. That's a lot of news. That's a lot of great news. So what was your comic of the week? So this week, I think I picked the same thing that you picked, which is the venerable issue, Detective Comics issue number 1027, which is the 1000th issue of the existence of Batman. That's cool. Um, this one's a compilation of stories. I thought it was 10 stories, but I was wrong. It was 12. So Yeah, I think it's 12. Um, uh, we're, <laughs> we actually only ate, uh, read, as of this recording, eight of them. But it's been so good and so full of variety, but also depth. Like, each of the stories were so fun, but also, like, a really good characterization of Batman. There was one that didn't even have Batman in it. There, um, the last one that we read was... Um, 
about <laughs> what was called Detective Number Twenty Six, which was the guy that was ramping up. Well, to Batman save. was in it at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's Last true. Last couple of pages. <laughs> yeah, that was the Grant Morrison, Chris Burnham story about so good. the guy that was just just coming just out, just a little too the... early on the curve of history to be, uh, you know, right at the tail end of the like the masked mystery men. Yes. Like a little too late to be one of the mystery men and a little too early to be a superhero. Yeah. You know, so he just he, he just he was in the uncanny valley of <laughs> of vigil the uncanny vigilante valley and yep. didn't have the silver ghost. You know, and so yes. he, you know, just sort of faded away into obscurity. He was literally there during Batman's first case, the case of the chemical syndicate syndicate. Yep. Um and uh, was there to witness Batman with his weird curved ears and purple gloves uh-huh. throw that <laughs> chemical magnet into the vat of acid yeah um and he's like well guess uh guess i didn't pick my moment very well and he goes off to live in obscurity so yep. yeah that was great that was very much sort of like a meta grant morrison thing but the uh we're about to read the tom king one which i think is going to be good that is a walter simons that has walter simonson on art which strikes me as an odd combination but we'll see um the bender story was fun um that was one the one the master class that features yeah, like all so the main good. sidekicks all sort of being detectives together mm-hmm. um matt fraction had a great one kelly sudaconic had a great one um yeah, the, James Tynion did the one with Riley Rosmo on art with That's Dead, right. Dead Man. That I one love that too. one. I think that one was my favorite. Um, yeah, I I'm trying think to think that of who wrote favorite. the one. The, so Mar- the Marv Wolfman one. I could take or leave. That was the one with like the underwater mystery finding the finding the boat. Oh right, that oh, one, I like that one that was one. okay. But Marv Wolfman that was is fun. Marv Wolfman style reads to me as a little outdated these days. I mean, he's been doing this for like fifty years, so it's not surprising. Yeah, but. I like the, the it's story well, because it's it well was constructed. A, it just reads as old fashioned. Like it, just the pacing and the dialogue don't read as something to, to me anyway. There's there's some writers from that generation that I feel like their style sort of moves with evolves with the times, and then there's others who are very much like stuck, not stuck, but they stay in their their classic style. They sort of hit their style ha- and they, they stay there. Voice, yeah. And his they, his is sort of of that, and it doesn't like when I'm reading one of his older comics, like you know his New Teen Titan stuff or Crisis on Infinite, so it works for me in the style of the time but as a modern thing and in amongst all these other very modern stories it doesn't work as quite as well for me but i like that one i liked yeah. it it was yeah. good but it's probably my least favorite and then the one the one with the, i'm trying to think of who did the one with the john Romita junior art four which is the one with like him on the golf course like oh maneuvering i love that, that one that was, that really was good great too. oh <laughs> yeah that was great. was that snyder on that one i can't remember. snyder did one but i can't think if that's the one that he did anyway so we've got a tom king one mm-hmm. uh coming, coming up. up oh greg ruckus was really good too the rookie Oh, but that yes. rookie female police officer. That was so good. Yeah, that one was really good too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so I would have picked this one too, but I knew you were going to talk about it. Um, so I wanted to give mention to Catwoman number 25, which was a really good nice. anniversary issue. So this one that also had a few stories, all by the same writer, the, uh, writer, the new writer, Ram V, taking over from uh, Joel Jones, although he's done some fill-ins too. But I think this is this is good because it sets up sort of, it ties into Joker War, the first story does. Yep. And then sort of sets up a new status quo of her, her moving back to Gotham and sort of setting herself up as like the, the queen of this sort of alley town yeah. area of Gotham. Yeah. Uh, we meet some new characters who might be recurring characters. And I don't know, it, it, it was a good, and the art was great. Fernando Blanco is really great. He's been doing some of the art on, on the past issues. Um, yeah, it's just like a really solid, like, here's the new status quo issue. And some of the short stories were, were really good, too. Yeah. So I really liked it. Yeah, I like that one, too. That was great. I um, I like the story. I like the fact that she outgrifted the grifters. So this just reestablishing the fact why she's um, Catwoman. She's, oh, yeah. John she Paul Leon did, did art for that, that so story, good. too, which was which was fantastic. You know him from the, um, I mean, he's, he's done a, a ton of great stuff. But you probably know him primarily from the 
Kurt Busiek, um Batman Creature of the Night miniseries, uh-huh. which is the one with like the real life Bruce Wayne who could like summon this bat demon. Oh, yes. And we sort yes. of found him in different stages of his life. He did the art for that. Oh, And he's okay. got this really that, stripped oh. down. So it manages to be very minimalistic and yet also very realistic at the same time. Yeah. Which is always a combination that I find really fascinating. It, it's Michael Lark who did the art on Gotham Central is a very similar style in that way. And I really like that that combination. You know, yeah. like a lot of, it really feels like a real place. Yeah. But just like, like like if you squint and all the all the like little detail lines were to fall away, you know, it could yeah. be a photograph, but just, just like, like someone went into went into Photoshop and put like a, a Gaussian blur on everything. So you lose a lot of the fine details, but it yeah. still looks like it could be photorealistic, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So really good. Yeah. So should we move on to your activity? I'm ready. So this week, because um, we, I wanted to have a little bit of excuse to talk about Gundam again, since we finished uh, <laughs> v, v Gundam recently, I thought we would rank the Shars. Excellent. So every Gundam <laughs> series, or at least most of them, has what is become known in the fandom as like a Shar clone or a just yes. a Shar, right? Like the old yeah. trope, he is a Shar, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so every Gundam series has, um, well, not everyone, and they they share certain tropes. Usually they're masked or helmeted, usually have blonde hair or very light colored hair, are usually mysterious, are sometimes kind of like of dubious loyalties. Like they, you might think they're going to be a bad right. guy at first and then they end up being an anti-hero. Yep. Sometimes they do end up being a bad guy, but sometimes they ally themselves with the heroes temporarily yep. or they're, they're a bad guy, but they're also interested in fighting the worst bad guys. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, there's a very often a secret relationship with either the hero or one of the hero's friends, often like a big brother, young sister relationship. Yeah. Um, so these are sort of tropes that sort of mm-hmm. that repeat throughout the And not the, only that, the but often, often the, the, this person is also of some nobility that was wronged in the past. Yes, that's that's also, that's also part yeah. Of the they're trip. often like to them, you know, they're high born, they're aristocratic right. usually, and so they have this sort of um, bearing about them, which is noble, usually a little, sometimes a little, conceited. A, a little conceited, but also usually they have this sort of, um, they have honor, you know, mm-hmm. they ha- they have honor on the battlefield, like they're not sort of the the type right. to stab someone in the back or or fight an unfair fight against the hero. Right. Usually, not always. Yeah. Um, but those are some of the tropes, and, and most of the series have a character like this. So I've picked the five from the series that we've either fully or partially watched so far. Okay. And so I thought we could rank them. Okay. Okay? Just according to which ones are your favorites. should have quizzed the, me about them because I would fail Well, yeah, I think you probably face. could have gotten most of their names, but but this is so it's probably... Quattro Bugina. Well, I was, I was actually <laughs> going to put Shara in there like three times under yeah, each yeah. of his different aliases, <laughs> but I thought that that was probably, um, probably not fair. So the five, the ones we've watched so far. So Shar Aznable, obviously, yeah. you know, the original, the icon. Um, Iron Mask, which was the, the oh, villainous yes. um, father of the heroine uh, in the F-91 movie the, of the, the Cosmo Babylonia, you know, right. the Darth Vader type. Yes, um, yes. Prob- mm-hmm. Probably the least memorable because he was only in that one yeah. sort of mediocre movie. Uh, Chronicle Asher, obviously the Shar clone from V Gundam, which we just watched, right? Yes. Uh, Schwartz Bruder. Who is sort of yes. the closest that uh, G Gundam had, and not uh, doesn't carry all of these tropes, but is sort of obviously the. I was surprised. I thought that you would for sure pick the uh, um, the the half silver, the Phantom of the Opera guy with the silver mask from from uh, G Gundam. Phantom of the Opera guy. Well, he's I the don't... one who had imprisoned the one who actually turned out to be bad at the end. Spoilers. Sorry. Phantom of the Opera guy. I'm not quite sure. Who are you referring to? I'm talking about the guy that was really, really aristocratic. He had the black hair. He had the half silver thing from an injury. Do you remember? And he he was with the scientist, like Rain's father. 
a whole lot. Oh, that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But he's not. He doesn't fit. Man, Schwarzenegger is, is is the is the Shar clone here because he's I got see. the relationship with the hero. He's got the mysterious. Is he a good guy or is he a bad guy? Mm-hmm. He's got the mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the he's the he's the guy from this one. In fact, there's like there's like official art of like Shar and all of his doppelgangers, and Schwarzenegger is like the representative that's always on that art. So right. I think canonically, he's the Shar of the show. I see. Um, and then in, in uh, Gundam Wing, which you're right, watching right now, it's Zex Marquis, yep. right, obviously. So those, so those are your five. Char, Iron Mask, Chronicles, Schwartz, and Zex. Oh, boy. So Char goes number one because he is the Char. So I can't deny Is that, that because he was the original or because you actually like him the best or think he's the best I character? really do. He Both. He is the original. He established the trope. He was original when he first came out. Like, that was an interesting interesting and intriguing thought which they came back to in subsequent series um for a reason because it worked so well with the first iteration and then when quattro bagina came back on the into the mix like you kind of like his mask became his sunglasses you know like but the character himself was just as complicated and just as questionable and just as noble and so you you kind of love hate him um all the same so because you have such a long-standing history and understanding of the character and because he established the yardstick by which other gundams are now measured um it's got to go to share i'm I'm looking forward to watching the origin with you which is basically like his it's just like a prequel of the original series seen through his eyes it takes him all the way from his childhood up to the moment when the series begins with him infiltrating the colony where the gun how fun so oh boy was it voiced by the same actor yeah I thought he's so. always this. It's always the same guy. Yeah, I mean, I he's, he's apparently having health issues now, but it's been him for like all 40 plus years. That's like he's the he's, so great. he's always been the guy. Yeah, I know that um, they don't really recast. It's in reca- Japan, recasting it's not, there is like, far less common than it is yeah. here. Like you get the role and you, you don't lose it unless you die. Basically. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is really cool because if and if you're thought, unavailable, they usually just like don't write your character into the show. Yeah, right. Like Sayla, yeah. Sayla was minor digression. Sayla was going to be more prominent in like some of the middle stuff, like uh, but like she was Zeta. Mm-hmm. But the actress was like on safari or something, so they just didn't write her in there. Wow. So she appeared in like a couple of episodes later in right. Double Zeta, yeah. which made little no sense, sense because Shar wasn't even in that one. It would have made more sense for her to be in Cer- Zeta or to Shar's Shar's counter attack. But I think that it was but, nice for yeah. them to to come back to her and, and yeah that was nice but i mean I that's, that's that nice. just speaks to like yeah. i think the i think in most north american things if you if they wanted to write you into a show and you you, you couldn't come in and record they would just recast you right i think they, they have a lot more deference for their for the voice actors there i think yeah so he's number one who's number two um it's got to go to Schwarzbruder because i knew that he was uh, i knew who he was based on his name anybody who speaks german picked up on the fact that <laughs> bruder means brother and so i knew exactly who he was and schwartz means schwartz well <laughs> may the schwartz be with you so mono means one and rail means rail this concludes our, our three- intensive three-week course yeah um <laughs> that's great um so yeah schwartz bruder he was so good he was so compelling and he was so integral to that beautiful silly show i just love everybody it so on that show was so over the top that i almost it's but like I apples and oranges it. i have trouble I comparing it. them to like the much more down to as, as silly as it sounds to call some of these other characters down to earth the shows are so much more gritty and realistic yeah. to use like tired buzzwords that i have find it hard to to even compare him to the others because they're like they're so different in terms of the the tone of the shows, yeah, but. I'm forgetting who one of them is. Um, I remember the Iron Mask, Iron Mask, Chronicle, and Chronicle, Zex. Chronicle. Oh yeah, definitely Chronicle is next, and I don't know enough about Zex, but he's going to go in number four, and then um, then Iron Mask at the bottom. Iron Mask is. At I the bottom, thought yeah. so. So 
I think, yeah, Char's number one. I think he's a really interesting character. I think it would have been, I think he was really compelling in the original Mm -hmm. series. And I think it was really an interesting move to kind of make him one of the protagonists of the second series. I think it's too bad that they sort of dropped his character for Double Zeta, but that was mostly just there so that they could um, give him like a big finish in the 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 Char's counterattack movie without, like with a bigger budget. Um, But it just, his absence sort of seems conspicuous uh, in in that series. Yeah. but it's cool because we have sort of the whole arc of his life and he's got the, these conflicted motivations and sometimes he's on one side, sometimes he's on the other side. And his sort of flip-flopping um, allegiances and motivations are like part of his character. Yeah. So what could in other characters come off as bad writing just seems like, well, he's just like, he doesn't know what he wants, basically. You right. know, like he, he, he has certain goals which are consistent, but yeah. his methods to achieve those goals are all over the place based on like other things that are happening and that's just p- part of his character is that he's you know mm-hmm. he's he's inconsistent he's unpredictable in that way right um and so i think he's number one yeah like he, he's iconic in that first one they really develop his character well later i i know that the origin stuff is considered to be some of the best animation so i'm really looking forward to getting getting to that but that's that was really recent so we got a lot of stuff to go through before we get to that it's um, kind of a bummer i almost want to watch it now well, we could always jump the timeline a little bit to watch it um okay. So Iron Mask has pr- got to be at the bottom for me because yeah. I just like he I I thought that uh, the character designs the animation in that movie was was beautiful the character yeah. design was really cool I thought it's like he had an interesting concept for a character yeah. but they they just, there wasn't enough, enough time they, yeah, they were shoving they were already shoving a season's worth of plot and characters into, into one, one two movie. hour movie yeah um, Chronicle I thought had a lot of promise early on I thought yeah. he had interesting things that were different about him. But then I feel like the show just sort of didn't develop him very much in the back half. Yeah. Um, he was just sort of, he was he was either absent entirely or when he was there, he was just sort of doing the same things. Yeah. I thought they missed a lot of interesting opportunity to like develop his relationship with Katagina. Like, yeah. how does See he feel about, how does he feel, does he, does he, does he does even he like, does like he her? like her or yeah. not? Like, I, it's unclear, right? Like, mm-hmm. he seemed protective of her in some ways, but. But that could have just been yeah. his sense of chivalry. How does he feel about, it's unclear like exactly how like he seems loyal to his sister, but how does he feel about the fact that she's like a puppet of this empire? How does he really feel about her goals? Does he want a matriarchy? Because he's a man. Like, how does he feel about that? Like, I just feel like it set him up as an interesting character with interesting things about him early on, but then it just didn't follow through very well in the second half. Even though I think that show generally is much better than it's regarded as being, I think that they kind of dropped the ball with him. Um, But I think I'm, so maybe yes. So maybe Schwartz, then him. And then, well, I re- so I really like Zex, but I've seen all of Gundam Wing. Mm-hmm. So that's a little unfair. But but be that as it may. So I'd have to say like probably Char, then Zex, probably. Zex is, is probably the most, with you know, I suppose minor spoil. He's probably the most similar to Char oh, okay. out of all these characters. Um, and they even sort of take him on some similar, his, his character sort of goes in some similar directions, although not always. So don't, don't think you know exactly what they're going to do. Okay. But Gundam Wing um, structurally is probably the closest to the original Gundam shows than some of these other ones are so they hit some of the same notes I think that I don't know this for sure but I always got the sense that it was sort of positioned as a new entry point for fans into the Gundam series so they wanted to they wanted to hit some of the same notes it's sort of this is like um, a beginner's Gundam not in terms of like the story or the characters being too simplistic but it's kind of like an updating or reboot of the original UC stuff yeah so so I think that that's why he's like the most similar to Shara out of anyone. Although the protagonists are are very different, so I, the the comparison only goes so far. Um, so Shara then Zax, then I think then probably Schwartz, then Chronicle, then Iron Mask. Mm-hmm. I think that I think the Chronicle's a good character. I just think that they didn't they didn't do enough with him. Right. 
I, I actually, I would be curious to revisit this activity after we've seen the rest of Gundam Wing just to see, because like Zex has promise. I, I'm, um, so I'd be interested to see if I like him better or worse than um, uh, Chronicle. You can see the ways in which reasons. he's the yeah. most similar to Shara in terms oh, of like, yeah, 100%. He's, he's the lost son of like a, 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 a dynasty a that was dynasty, cut, cut yeah. down. He has a sister who's, you know, mm-hmm. and their they family practiced this sort of high-minded like, pacifistic yep. thing. And he's going against it to get revenge on the people. You know what I mean? And like, he realizes that he can never wash his hands yeah, clean. Very, but he very wants similar. To, yeah. His mm-hmm. relationship to the heroes is quite different. But the way in, the way in which he's like an antagonist, but like the least bad of the antagonist, because yeah. you kind of see where he's coming from, is is, is similar. And, he, and the yeah. way... In, way in which he checks all the boxes of the tropes and we'll see how Noin plays into this I'm excited this series is yeah it's not one-to-one he is the most of anything in Gundam Wing he is the most one-to-one pretty much most of the other aspects of the show don't really I mean line up you you kind of get you kind of get the ways in which it's a little similar because you start off with one it's kind of like the original like Gundam then Zeta then double Zeta like on fast forward a little bit because you've already kind of gotten to the point where you're we're kind of in analogous Zeta territory where the original threat has been superseded by this new even worse military threat so if you want to consider like the earth sphere alliance is like when they would fight against zeon and now it's been superseded by this even worse military force so they're kind of like the titans i guess you could say you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like you can kind of map it a little bit but it doesn't really follow perfectly but Mm. yeah so we'll we'll come back we'll come back to that after we finished uh nice the best shars nice activity Okay, so we have a new episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. Much ado about Boimler. Oh, so, so the good. the tropes that we uh, the tropes that we got here. We have transporter accident. Yep. And we have um, secret society. We have like kind of a Section Thirty One vibe thing going. We, for a bit. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. There's like secret as there's like secret division of the Federation mm-hmm. that nobody knows mm-hmm. about, right? Um, then there's transporter accident, and then there's like um, ship uh, ship. Uh, drift in space starfleet ship adrift in space where they can't find the crew at first right and then they find the crew but they've been terrorized by some alien threat yes. right and we've got visiting they even say they, we don't want some jellico type looking yes. over our shoulders so we have visiting captain yeah we we have the we have our original bridge crew going off on some secret mission where they wear the head-to-toe black leotard yes right? and the, the why the bridge crew of a starfleet ship is sent off on some like seemingly espionage mission makes as little sense here as it did in chain of command yes i know we need someone to infiltrate this cardassian military base let's send this 70 year old englishman yes <laughs> the captain of our flagship and a klingon and a doctor yeah but Let, let's you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah so it makes as little sense that here obviously they're nodding to that and they have the visiting captain but here the trope is and so i guess you could say visiting captain taking over the ship yep. right but also um visiting High-ranking officer is an old friend of one of our main cast, which is yeah. also something that would happen a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. Here, it's Mariner's old friend from the academy, and while she's stuck in ensign status, this person has risen through the ranks quite quickly uh, to uh-huh. become a captain. Yeah, and there's the whole thing where she's sort of living down to expectations, and then you discover later she's not. You know, as as we kind of know already, but as her friend discovers, she's not really a screw up. In that way, she's, she's not incompetent. Yeah. She's sort of like messing up intentionally, so so as to sort of like Manage play herself down yeah. and not because she doesn't want. As we saw in the other episode where she got promoted, she doesn't want to rise through the ranks. She's sort of happy where she is, you know. But when right. she's called upon to step up, she actually can be a good leader and, yeah. and think on her feet. Obviously, as yep. we know, uh, the whole thing with Boimler is super funny, where he gets stuck in this. He kind of gets Barkley a little bit where he's yeah. in he's in like in this sort of interim state where he's sort of like half in phase. Yeah. Um he gets taken to this 
sort of um, really secretive, e- evil-looking Starfleet ship. Yes. So, so I want to ask With you. With other um, accidents. Right. They they tell him, and you know, every single one of those, pretty much every single one of those people is a reference to something. So you got yeah. the guy that's half a rascal. You got yes. the hot. You got the guy that's a warp ten salamander from Threshold. Yes, right? I got that. You've got. Um, I'm trying to think of who else there was. Oh, there's there's a, there's at least one person in the the beep boop pike chair, right? Yes, beep boop pike chair. Although they might have been just been on the planet at the end. I can't don't remember if any of them were actually on the ship. But they he gets taken to this ship. No, she was on the ship. Okay, they get taken yeah. to this ship and they're like, oh, we're taking you to the farm, which is this uh-huh. place where you can you know be treated in luxury. But all the all the all the you know freaks are like, oh no, this is you know it's this this is this the farm. Is the farm. Ah. What did you what did you think? How did you think that that plot was going to end? I'm curious. Do I, hmm. Wow, refrigerator moment. I don't know. I might be a little bit short-sighted, but I was just watching the show to see what would happen. I didn't really have any sort of predictive thoughts, and you just kind of slammed me with that question. Because I was huh. thinking, and I think this is this is really smart. I, I said, oh, I see what they're doing. They're playing on the audience's expectations that modern Trek is going to have this dark twist where Starfleet isn't quite as noble as you right. thought. And they actually have this ship where they anybody who's anybody who's not normal, they put them onto the ship and they live out their lives there in, in terror and misery, right? Yeah, wouldn't, yeah. That be, wouldn't that be a dark, gritty twist? Like everything you thought you knew about Starfleet yeah. is wrong, right? Yeah. Like Discovery does that sometimes. Picard does that. The Abrams movies. Like it's a, it's a trope in modern Star Trek right. amongst the fandom. Didn't, didn't the captain say something about keeping the lights off to save fuel or yeah, something but, like but that? They, like I, that. So, so, so that's what they make. They set you up to think yeah. that this is going to be another instance of that yes. but knowing the show as we do now and knowing the creators i'm like they're they're playing on the audience's expectations that this is going to be another dark underbelly to starfleet and i bet it's going to turn out that there actually is a, farm, a farm and it's as nice as everybody says it is and oh. i was right it's like this is because this <laughs> show this, this show unlike some of the other modern star trek isn't about revealing the gritty underbelly of federation life this this show is like prime next gen show this is like yeah. no the federation and starfleet are everything they claim to be right that's right. that's this show's position on things right i'm not saying one position is right and one is wrong they sort of both you can you can have a it's you like can draw it's like, a lens to it's like you can have a, you can have a, a superman story yeah. like superman up in the sky or all-star superman or you can do one like kingdom come that reveals superman's flaws and short shortcomings right and they can both be great stories right this is a, this is not a show about how starfleet falls short this is a show about you know the, the little people in Starfleet, but Starfleet is great. Yeah. Whereas some of the other shows are about, well, Starfleet falls down sometimes, you know, but this is not that show. So I thought that was really smart because the, the fans watching this and they're familiar with, you know, Kurtzman track, so to speak, mm-hmm. modern track, they they think this is going to be another way in which they take the knees out of, you know, out, out from Starfleet. And they're like, no, this is just, no, it's everything. And the guy's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't keep the lights off. And I guess I could not use, I could not talk in such like a th- threatening voice. I could, we could probably like, we could, I could communicate better. Yeah. I like how Bourne was like, no, we should all just sit down in a conference room and, and have a long discussion about this. And like, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it, right? Like, that's the way you would solve problems in next gen. Everybody sits down in that damn yep. conference room and yep. they talk for 15 minutes, yep. right? Um, <laughs> So that's great. It, I feel like that was really smart. And they get to this planet and it, it, is, it is this idyllic place. And it's like, it's a goofy thing that this show is doing. like, oh, here's where all the weird, you know, yeah. people that have been mutated go. But again, much like the guy last week who wanted to get off the Vancouver yeah. because he couldn't handle being on epic adventures once a week. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, yeah, every if if the Enterprise changes history five times a year, yeah. then history must be being changed every 15 minutes, right? Yeah. If... 
Tom Paris and Captain Janeway got turned into salamanders once. Somebody the, got somewhere. By the, somewhere, by somewhere the, by the law salamander. of large numbers. <laughs> right. Look to your left. Look to your right. Someone's if you don't a see a warp 10 salamander, you're, you're the warp 10 salamander, <laughs> right? So it's that's got to be it, right? Like it's, if, if freaking Tom Paris can break the warp 10 barrier yeah. in a random shuttle yeah. in the middle of nowhere with no support in the, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Then you're going to have warp 10, you know, once he does it, and, vo- and if you want to like fan wank <laughs> it, you can, right? Like once Voyager gets back and everybody reads Paris's logs yeah other people are going to start to try that right so you're yeah. going to have it's going to be warp 10 salamanders all the way down yeah so how did they fix the warp 10 salamander problem in that episode i because they brought him back but they <laughs> left their kids on that island i don't or think whatever. anybody remembers i think what did they they did something they where did they something to trigger the forward evolution i don't think again. it was the, i don't, I don't think it was know. the transporters no that was the problem is that they were evolving too fast which they were evolving which forward? doesn't make any sense no. scientifically because no. evolution is not Wait, it doesn't they, work that way. They were evolving forward. Yeah, because they they oh. they'd been they were hyper evolving. Oh, that's hilarious. So it's like yeah, it's yeah. I thought they were devolving. No, you're thinking of the, the next gen episode. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but uh, some some of the guys come back from an away mission and everybody and their enterprises devolve. So Troy becomes like a weird fish person in her bathtub, and Worf has become this massive like half Klingon half animal thing and Barkley's a big spider do you yeah, remember this I remember the spider yeah. so yeah sometimes you evolve sometimes you devolve you know sometimes you're the yeah sometimes you're the warp 10 salamander sometimes you're the warp half, 10 Kling, half Klingon monster yeah um <laughs> so yeah but again like it's playing off these tropes in a really smart way like these are all things you know like yep these are all tropes from from Star Trek but just yeah done one in of a the really main one way. of the main um uh, people that he encounters is half aging rapidly and half de-aging so. Right, which are both things that we've seen. Yeah, so the next in episode, person, Rascals, yeah. which they reference, but then there's other episodes. I'm going to be where, half Rascal the whole time. Yeah. Well, there's, an, there's the next in episode where Pulaski's aging rapidly. There's the next right? in episode mm-hmm. where that Admiral comes aboard and he's old, but he uses secret secret like chemicals or whatever to become young again yeah. so he can complete like one last diplomatic mission. Right. You know, people get aged and de-aged. There was the, there was the Deep Space Nine episode where Bashir got really old, but that was just like in his that mind in his because mind, he'd been yeah. zapped by a, by a guy. I mean, there's, but like bad old age makeup is a, is is a, a thing, thing. Sure. As, as is being, and then there was, the, of course, there was the one where Molly O'Brien got o- got older because she was stranded. Oh, yeah, that's you know, like, right. Characters suddenly getting old or suddenly being de-aged is a trope. I mean, it's not just in Star Trek, but across all of science fiction. Sure, you know, so. sure. But yeah, it's it's smart that it plays off of it in those ways. So again, yeah, it's a really fun episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love this show. It's such a good show, and it's so fast and amazing. And for those of you that are keeping up, I hope you're also enjoying the Ready Room, which doesn't have episodes for every episode, but uh, still, it's, it's. I think they'll probably do another one at the end of the season. Yeah, they want the beginning, one, one at the mid season, and then something. they'll probably do one mm-hmm. at the end. It's really that's also a delight, and they have fun interviews, and Will Wheaton continues to be a delight. So, also check that out if you're enjoying the show as well. So um, that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you've got anything to uh, say to us <laughs> we have an email address mailbag at smartspodcast.com our website is www.smartspodcast.com our twitter handle is at smartspodcast and on facebook we are facebook.com slash smartspodcast how about a funny sound for us i don't have one how about the lizard Ooh. 